May the God and Father of all shine in our hearts today that we might better see Jesus and love him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As Dean Kidd mentioned, um, my wife and I and uh, my family, uh, which is composed of three teenagers, have chosen to be at the 6 p.m. service for the most of our time since we moved to Orlando here in 2020. And it's a joy uh, to be with you here this morning. In the church calendar today is the last Sunday in the season of Epiphany, which anticipates Lent. This year, Ash Wednesday falls on Valentine's Day. And that has only happened three times in the last 100 years. So all of us have a chance to really reflect on our first love. In the season of Epiphany, it's good to reflect on what it means. Epiphany can mean a sudden insight or an intuitive understanding and grasping of something. In our context today, it's about a revelation of Jesus as both fully God and fully man. And this shows up most clearly in the gospel passage, which we just heard read. As I was reflecting on these texts and thinking about preaching, I was reminded of a text from one of my preaching classes. The title of the book, uh, written by an Anglican, John Stott, was called Between Two Worlds. The one who is preaching is called to really live and to be immersed in the world of the text, to be in the world of scripture and to be in the world of today. That means you have to know about ancient Near Eastern culture. You have to know about the Hellenic world of the first century. You also need to know that we're in the midst of a presidential campaign and that today is Super Bowl Sunday. You may want to know who plays and uh, I'm rooting for the 49ers, though I have no, no problem with the Chiefs at all. <laughs> you also have to know things in a globalized world that are beyond just our own maybe home cultures. Like yesterday was Lunar New Year or Chinese New Year. Uh, and we're in a new year. It's the year of the dragon. Back when I was fresh out of seminary and working as a pastor, uh, I was so deeply immersed in the world of the text and the world of scripture. And I felt such a strong desire to really just bring a congregation into that world and into that understanding. And when you're fresh out of seminary, you've, you've worked so hard to learn all these things. You just feel like, well, they must be important so everybody else should know about them too. And now that I'm a little bit older, I have a little bit more seasoning, I have some kids moving into adulthood. I'm also a layperson and usually on the receiving end of preaching. And now I sort of feel like I want something different. I want someone to speak to me from where I am. I want someone to enter into this cultural moment and I'll try and share about that today. I want to talk about three themes that arise from our passages. First theme, being blind. 
The second, the experience of revelation. And thirdly, sharing revelation to the world. In this season of Epiphany, we're talking about revelation or that insight or intuitive grasping of things. Another way to think about that is how it is that we come to know things. The favorite topic of mine since studying philosophy. There are many things that we know because we see them. We know what red looks like, and we know what green looks like. Maybe we know what purple looks like if you're red, green, red, green colorblind. And that's the only way that you can know colors is through seeing them. And even if you're colorblind, you have a partial knowing. And that's the basic level of seeing. But our texts here from the New Testament are talking about something much, much deeper. There's something beyond a basic level of seeing. And at this deeper level, our default state is not seeing, but being blind. And that's a spiritual question for you to ponder this morning. Are you blind? Or do you see? It's not hard to imagine the Apostle Paul being particularly sensitive to this kind of imagery and this kind of metaphor, given his experience on the road to Damascus. In Acts 9, we read about Saul, his former name, breathing out murderous threats against Jesus' disciples. And he went and he got special permission from the high priest with a letter so that he could go around, find the followers of Jesus, and throw them in jail. So he gets his letter, he heads out to Damascus, and he is just out to do, as he understands it, God's work. And he has an experience. He has a revelation. And in a very strange reversal, his revelation is accompanied by blindness. A light from heaven shines on him, and Jesus speaks to him. And he spends three days in total blindness. Just imagine what that would be like. Three days. It's the ultimate spiritual lesson. Bro, you're blind. This is the condition of all of us before God reveals himself to someone. And the worst part about it is... You can be spiritually blind and not even know it. That's why it's important to ponder this question. Are you blind or do you see? As we think about this, I'll move to my second point, which is the experience of revelation. In our text in 2 Corinthians, we read about things like blindness and veils both experience, talk about experiencing something, but not at the deepest level. And that's what can happen with the powerful, transformative truth of the gospel. You can hear it. You can see it. You can even know a lot about Jesus, a lot about God, a lot about the church. And still feel like, eh. What's the big deal? 
Now, I think this is an area of deep mystery, but the experience of spiritual revelation should mark us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, The God who brings light in the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. My best understanding of this spiritual truth, this illumination, is that seeing in this passage could just as easily be replaced with the word loving. Part of the experience of revelation is a quickening and awakening, an animating spirit of love that does something to you and that leaves a mark. We read that in the gospel. Jesus goes up with a few of his disciples and they experience this powerful level of revelation. We read, Jesus was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. My first thought was, did they have bleach back then? Didn't know that. My second thought, that's my honest spiritual reaction. My second thought was, wow, I wonder what's going on with this word transfigured. It's used four times in the New Testament. Twice in this story, so one in Matthew's account and one in Mark's account. Another time in Romans 12, one of our offertory texts, where we're commanded to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the fourth use is right here in 2 Corinthians, but in chapter 3, so just before our text in chapter 4. This is the word used in chapter 3. And all of us, with unveiled faces, something unveiled, the direct experience, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. And this was... This experience of transformation that the disciples had of Jesus was not comfortable. It was scary. And Peter took this strong emotion and he, he, he channeled it into productivity and action and said, yeah, we should make some tabernacles. We should, we should do something. And, you know, that's not to say that all of us should just jump up and start building something after we have a deep experience of God's revelation. But it should do something to us. It, and it should change us. Truly experiencing God and his glory through spiritual sight leads to transformation. I have someone in my life right now who is experiencing this same transformation. This person is not new to the faith. They grew up in the church. They grew up uh, as a believer. But something has happened that has opened up a new way of seeing. This person has a new sense of life and vitality, full of zeal, passion, eager to share with others, and just evident in his face. Have you ever experienced that? 
I have my own experiences. One that jumps out to me as I was preparing was the first time we moved overseas after college. Coco and I, before we had kids, we lived in Australia and we lived in India. We were there with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and I had a lot of my own personal revival experiences. And I grew up in the church. My parents were Christians, their parents were Christians. Going back to my grandmother who came over from Sweden, who was a good Lutheran and moved to Minnesota. Generations and generations. And yet, something different opened up inside of me. It felt like life flowing through me. And I can recall three or four extended times of seasons in my life that knocked me on my butt and were leaps forward in my own discipleship. It's these very experiences that I've had of truly seeing with spiritual sight that even now keep me a Christian. I know I didn't make them up. I know that they weren't just in my imagination. I know they impacted me. And to deny them would be to deny who I am. And I say these experiences have kept me a Christian because in the midst of terrible times in my life, filled with doubt, filled with dread, filled with despair, even in an extended dark night of the soul, I can't pretend that didn't happen to me. Sometimes I like to say I work very hard to stay a Christian. But I can't go anywhere else. And again, I'd like to ask you, have you had your own experiences of Jesus? Have you had that sense of being changed on the inside from the love of Jesus? And if you haven't experienced that before, I think it's something worth pursuing. I'm still pondering and, and learning the vibe of Episcopalian and Anglican spirituality and the forms of formation in this tradition. And I would be really interested and eager to hear stories from people raised in this tradition of what your experience has been and what that kinds of awakening has been like. But I think it must happen. And once we've experienced something, it leads me to my final point. We share that revelation with the world. Returning to 2 Corinthians 4, we see that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing. This reminds me that we have an enemy and that there are limits to what we can do. We can talk and we can share the message of Jesus and we can try to exhibit a character of love. But we can't unveil someone's eyes and we can't call someone to see. And I think that's comforting. Talking louder or yelling doesn't work. Also, staying quiet and never sharing words also does not usually work. But when you know God and you've experienced him and you've seen him, 
It's very natural to share. And you can know a lot about him and not know him. Kind of reminds me of some of the interfaith work that I'm involved in. A couple years ago, we were at a book launch in Washington, D.C. And this was launching a book called God Needs No Defense. And it was jointly published by the World Evangelical Alliance and Natlatu Ulama, which is the world's largest Muslim organization, jointly publishing a book about God. And we weren't agreeing in everything. You can, if you want the book, I'll, I'll get you a copy. <laughs> but what was interesting was at the book launch, we had two of the leaders of these communities stand up and give a talk. The first was, uh, I forget all of his titles, but uh, Imam Pa'yahya Kholostakov. He got up and he said, we are so glad to be here in Washington, D.C. Uh, this event was hosted at the nation's mosque, which was the first mosque built in the U.S. by African slaves. He said, we're so glad to be here and we're so glad to be here with Thomas Schirmacher. He's a man of great influence and we're glad to spend time with him. And although at this point we disagree about our respective faiths, we feel like we're here promoting religious freedom because Islam is the most beautiful, most wonderful religion in the world. Thomas Schirmacher is a man of great influence. And we feel like if we can talk to him, he may become a Muslim. And then all of the evangelicals that follow him will see his example and might also become Muslims. And this would be great for Islam. He goes and he sits down. I was like, okay, interesting book launch here. Then Thomas Schirmacher got up. He said, ah, oh, it's wonderful to be here. Uh, we're so honored to be working with, uh, with Imam Yahya. And we're so glad to um, be here and to have this partnership to talk about religious freedom. Because for us, we feel like everyone needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We feel like there is no person more compelling in the entire world than Jesus and his message. And we feel like if we can just keep talking to Imam Yahya, who is a man of great influence, and leads this organization of 90 million Muslims throughout Indonesia, he may become a Christian. And then all these other Muslims in Indonesia who look up to him and respect him might also become Christians and follow Jesus. We think that would be great. And then he sat down. And Pak Yahya knows a lot about Jesus. But he has not had yet an experience of Jesus. And I find it comforting in the Muslims that I know and the arenas in which I am and the people that I'm talking to that I can talk to them, I can share, but it is not up to me to rip any kind of veil off of their eyes or to yell at them or convince them to become a Christian. That's not my responsibility. But my responsibility is the same as your responsibility, to be a witness to the world. I hope it's freeing to realize that it's not up to you to convince anyone. You can't do it anyways. 
but it's up to all of us to share the experience that we have with the world. And this, honestly, should be a common movement in the life of every Christian. Being blind, having an experience of revelation, and sharing that revelation with others. To the glory of God. Amen.